Let's start again. Good morning, church. That's why you didn't respond. You couldn't hear me. Oh, dear me. Let me repeat. It's lovely to worship together. And thanks to the team for putting the service together and stepping aside and allowing us to focus on Jesus this morning. It's just lovely to, to do that in the world's that we live during the week. This is a great place to come and be reminded that we have an incredible God. Someone once said that sheep are probably amongst the most stupid and dumbest creatures that God ever created. And I used to work with them back in my days in Department of Agriculture in research. And I have to say, you just have to love sheep. I know they've got idiosyncrasies and they do stupid and ridiculous things, but... And so you can see this fat and healthy sheep standing in these lovely, lush, green pastures. The pastures that have fattened it up and it wanders over to the fence between paddocks and pushes its head through and tries to eat a few little weeds growing in the gravel next door, as though the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. you still got to love them. It seems that sheep are never content, even when they're in these incredible pastures. Now, for 40 years since my time in the Department of Ag, I've continued to work with sheep, the two-legged variety. The sheep of the great shepherd that I'm called to pastor. And I notice all too often that these sheep have the same tendencies as the four-legged. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Oh, I'm one of those two-legged varieties too, just remember that. And it's caused me to ask the question, do you ever wonder how it's possible in such a blessed nation to be so blessed and so discontent at the same time? So blessed and so discontent. To have more than any other generation in history and yet still crave more. There was a Roman poet called Horace who said this in the first century, no one lives contented. So we go back a long while. No one lives contented. Recently, Wallace Stevens, another poet, wrote this. But in contentment, I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. In other words, he's saying, even when I am content, I'm not really quite content because there's more bliss out there waiting for me. And it seems that discontent has afflicted human beings down through the centuries. So could there be any more elusive quality in our day than that of contentment? Have you ever played the if-only game? If only I had more money, then my stresses would be gone and I'd be happy. If only I could get married, then... I'd be happy. If only I could get a better job, then I'd be satisfied in life. If only I married a different person then. 
If only we could get a bigger house then. If only I could have that car. If only my spouse weren't sick so often. If only I had, a, had children. If only my son would start respecting me. If only the pastor was a better preacher and carer. If only I hadn't come from such a troubled background. If only, fill in the blank. If only. Then I'd have contentment, joy happiness if only as a virus that can infect any area of our lives my experience tells me and i know there's a number of you here your experience tells you this is a game we can never win if only you will lose every time Oh, it might work for a fleeting moment as you shine up your car for the first time, but then next week you've got to go back and shine it up. And you know, you know what I mean, if only. I believe this approach to our circumstances is less than productive. It blinds us to what is actually good in our present circumstances and it constantly shifts the responsibility regarding what is happening in our lives to over there somewhere. Henrik Ibsen is a Norwegian playwright and he put it another way, very simply, he said, when you take away somebody's life lie, when you take away somebody's life lie, they lose all their happiness. And if only is a life lie. And if it gets taken away. As long as you and I have something we think will fill up the emptiness inside us, as long as we believe there's something out there in our circumstances that will fill us, we will live discontent. It's a deep, deep thing. The Apostle Paul said this to the Christ followers in Philippi, people just like us. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now listen carefully to his circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. So in case you think he's only talking about the down or outers, he's not. He's talking about the plenties as well. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We'll get to those life-changing, amazing words in a moment. Because our culture is also enough is not enough culture. Just popped into my head. Sharon and I driving back across the Nullarbor a couple of years ago after being over east for five or six weeks living in our van, five or six months living in our van and visiting family and stuff. We were nearing Perth and said, hey, we've been really content and happy for five months in this little bit. Look at this home we've got to go back to that's going to take up all our time. Do you know what I mean? More is never enough. Enough is never enough in our society. Everyone wants just a little bit more, and I call this the want mores. We've got the if onlys and the want mores. Why do you think bookshops keep sending me emails daily and sending me their sale catalogues daily? Because those advertisers know too well the elusive quality of contentment. 
They know our insatiable desire for more, a desire that arises out of our discontent. You know what? I see these emails every day and there are still unread books on my bookshelves from the last moment of indulging my discontent. We go and buy more of our desire. And for a while, desire is gratified. But the desire rises again. And so we buy again. And the cycle of discontent continues. The issue is not where you are. So the issue is not your circumstances, but how you live where you are. It's not our circumstances that create our discontent or our contentment. It is us. We rob ourselves, we rob each other of much joy and contentment in life because we let our circumstances create our mood. We kind of stick the thermometer in our circumstances and read them. Instead of being the thermostat that controls them, we act like thermometers. In fact, we have a choice, you know. We can choose the colour of our day. Let's just push this a little harder. What does the Tenth Commandment say? Oh, someone knows their Ten Commandments. I don't give any prizes out, so sorry. You shall not covet. You shall not desire to have. You shall not crave to have. You shall not hanker after. You shall not grasp for, and it gives some things. You shall not grasp for your neighbour's house. It's an interesting one today, isn't it? You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey. Well, that's the car these days, you know. Or anything that belongs to your neighbour. What's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. See the connection? In other words, the first commandment says, love God with all your heart, put nothing before him. Be totally absorbed in him. And this sounds to me like it is saying, we'll be able to deal with coveting the 10th commandment if the first commandment is in place. If we love God with every fibre of our being, mind, heart, soul and strength, because we will have everything. There's no downtime dealing with this discontent. No coffee break, no union strike in the factory of our hearts. They are constantly churning, constantly stirring up discontent, constantly scheming new scenarios. So is there any hope for discontents like you and me? Can the river of discontent in my heart, in your heart, our hearts, ever be slowed, ever be stopped? Let's go back to Paul's words again because this is his personal testimony this is what he tells us after living life because he's getting towards the end of his life here and he's actually chained between guards in prison when he writes this i have learned to be content as the chains shake in whatever circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I reckon these words should start us and cause us to catch our collective breaths this morning because I don't think I'm any different to you. Paul says that he's learned to be content in every situation, not just happy and comfortable situations, every circumstance. You see, that sheep was not happy in all its green grass that had made it fat. It wanted a few weeds over the fence. He knew how to be brought low, Paul did, and few people were brought lower than Paul. Let me just summarise. He was thrown into filthy prisons, savagely beaten with rods, stoned within a breath of death, whipped until his back was bloody, dripping mess, driven out of cities, betrayed by friends, shipwrecked on multiple occasions. And in all the midst of this, Paul's testimony is, I have learned contentment. The difficulties Paul faced make my life look like a stroll in the park. Make your life look like a stroll in the park. Paul also knew how to be content in the midst of prosperity. When he had it all, he was still content. He didn't have the want mores. Prosperity and contentment don't always go together. We know that in this society. Some of the saddest and most anxious and unhappiest people in our society are those who've got the lot because they've got the want mores. They need more. Oh, no, I won't go there. Rich people are unhappy, just like poor people. In fact, some of the poorer places that I've been in my journeys around Australia in ministry and so on are some of the happiest places where they haven't got all that everybody else has got. And some of the most discontent places are where there's money everywhere. Rich people are unhappy just like everyone else. And Paul has learned how to be content in those circumstances too. Contentment really does seem to be an elusive quality, not a natural state of mankind. Paul learned it bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance. Paul learned contentment. Through the ups and downs of life, Paul learned. So what's his secret? How can you and I be content in every and any situation. Just a little bit of Greek for you here. The word that Paul uses here in this language for content came over from the Stoic philosophers of his day. And they were people who were very austere, very stern, very contained and controlled everything from deep within themselves. Let me put it this way. They were self-sufficient. They were possessed with sufficient strength for whatever came, it came from within. They were strong. They were enough for anything. The idea is self-sufficiency. And Paul said, I know how to be like the Stoics, internally strong when externally circumstances are rough. But here's his secret. 
I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, please note the context of that verse. It's a verse that you've probably heard a lot and you've kind of thought, gee, I can go out and jump tall buildings in a single leap. I can have job promotions. I can have anything I want by Christ or in Christ who strengthens me. No, I have learned how to live content in horrible circumstances. I've learned how to live content when there's plenty in Christ who strengthens me. In fact, that word there for strength is the word from which we get dynamite. God strengthens Paul with dynamite power in all his circumstances. He's chosen the empowerment of Christ. He felt his circumstances. He felt the lashes on his back. He felt the shipwrecks. Believe me, but he chose the empowerment of Christ in those circumstances. He believed that Jesus was in the midst of all his circumstances and he chose, even when the odds looked bleak, to trust him. He was in Christ. One of the commentators said, picture the children of Israel in Egypt. All the plagues have been and Pharaoh's after them. Remember, and the angel of death is going to come across the country and they were told to paint the blood of sacrificed animals on their door lintels and the angel of death was passed over. They'd be covered by the blood. He said, think of that. That's what it means to be in Christ. We're covered over by Christ and he empowers us in our circumstances. Remember, this... I can do everything through Christ to give me strength is not a blank check promise. Listen to the Living Bible. For I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. If he's asking me to live in hard health circumstances or hard something else, I can do it in the strength that Christ gives me. If he's asking me to live with plenty I can do it without the want mores. I can do it with contentment. God infuses dynamite power into his followers when the need arises. Many of you here have been followers of Jesus for a long while and you no doubt prayed for looking for a life partner. You prayed about having children. You prayed about your jobs. You pray about all sorts of circumstances. That's the patch of grass God's got you in. That's the patch of grass in which you seek contentment. It's not just for a little spiritual hour on Sunday morning, but it's for the rest of it, the 24-7. That's where Christ is. The 20 when you leave here this morning, 24-7, he's going with you into your circumstances. And the God who has you there will be there with you in them and you can reach out for his dynamite power. Christ will empower you in those. Many of you have probably read Charles Swindoll, heard of him, Chuck Swindoll, well-known pastor in America. He said this, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me. Life is 10% my circumstances and 90% how I react to it. I did not get the pay rise. That's 10%. That's the circumstance of my life. So I'm going to sulk and cry poor. That's 90%. Or 
So I'm going to invite Jesus to empower me and help me have contentment when I didn't get that pay rise. Do we see this? I do have some difficult situations in my life and my work as a pastor. Well, just a few. That's 10%, right? That's my circumstances, according to Swindoll. So I'm going to spit the dummy and I'm going to get angry at the church. I don't think I've ever served him with both both barrels on a Sunday morning, have I, hun? No. Why? I could do that. My reaction, that's 90%. Or I could say, I'm going to face these situations with the dynamite strength of Jesus. I was diagnosed with cancer and diabetes. That's 10%. That's circumstances, according to Swindoll. So I'm going to be a grumpy old bum and give up without a fight. I could choose that. Or, since I'm still living with one but been through the other, I will delight in the contentment that Jesus empowers me with. My testimony. Come what may in the space, I know I am not alone, we sang. First song, great. Come what may in the space, I know I am not alone. There's what? There's another in the fire. I've got a beautiful house, Lord. Got a great family. Da da da. I've got everything I need a boat and a caravan. Da 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 da. da. In the space in between, I know I'm not alone. There's another in that fire, too. So I don't live with the want mores. Learning to be content is sometimes a difficult task. Bit by bit, little by little, circumstance by circumstance. And often we're going to have to fight against the lifestyle that's lived in the country around us, even amongst our friends. We're going to have to fight some of that lifestyle. We must think differently from the marketing and advertising gurus. They're out to get us and show us that we need more. There is possibly some self-denial going to be involved in this, some self-delayed gratification that's a part of the process. It can be a difficult process, listen to Paul's testimony. But the reward is contentment in Christ. And we, like Paul, will be able to say and give our testimony. We'll be mature people, content people. Let's go back to our green grass and our stupid sheep pushing through to get nothing. God has given each of us a plot of land, if I can put it that way, a bit of grass that we live on. It serves as the context of our life. And the problem is that most people don't love their own grass. Don't love the green pastures that God has led them to. Don't we quote Psalm 23? You know, your green pastures might look different to someone else's green pastures. But God's there. 
And we stick our heads through the fence, thinking the grass on the other side is greener. How do we love our own grass? It's there for us in verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Please don't read wants, needs. Listen to Paul's testimony again in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. It's in the message. You'll recognize this. So I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down when in fact what he did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. And then this, my strength, same word, my dynamite power comes into its own in your weakness. So when you can't handle plenty, you've got a weakness, okay, you want more. Or when you're going, if only my circumstances would change. God's grace is enough in either of those. Once I heard that, says Paul, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's dynamite power moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's strength, that's power, that's contentment for the journey of life in Christ. It's digging into our intimacy with God who keeps his promises. Sharon and I had been married for about probably 18 months, so she was getting to know me pretty well by then. You know, when you're squeezed up together in a home. I'm going to give you a shorthand version of this, but one day she looked at me and she said, will you go away and get your own life in Jesus because you cannot live through my relationship with Jesus. Ouch. But I needed my best friend. I needed my lover to tell me that because that has increased my desire to seek intimacy with God. Sharon had something really amazing as I saw it. It's one of the things that attracted to me, just what she had in Christ. And her life journey up to them had been the pits. And I, I just went and she said, Go, you can't live through me. My testimony is not going to stand for you. You need your own testimony. And it caused me to dig into the wonderful promises in Scripture and to prayerfully take my life to God, my discontent, and to begin experiencing, learning bit by bit, the dynamite power of Jesus in plenty and in need. 
May we in 2020 here learn to be content no matter what the circumstances as Christ strengthens us with his dynamite power. Let's pause. Father, I just want to say thank you for the incredible opportunity we have to push into Christ and know real contentment in our lives. Thank you that as we push into Christ when we're crying out, if only something had changed, if we push into Christ, we might find that we have what we need. We have Jesus and we have a lot more in our life than sometimes we think we can see Father when we're sitting here luxuriating with the plenty that we have in this nation but we're crying out for more Father prompt us by your spirit to cry out for Jesus so that you'll help us deal with the want mores and live content. Amazing. We can do plenty. We can do struggle straight in Christ who strengthens us. Thank you.